Do you fear death? Whether you admit it or not, we're all born fearing death. It's something over which we have no control, something that takes us from what we know, people we love, things that we enjoy doing, to the unknown. Sometimes death comes when we expect it, in old age, naturally. Sometimes it comes suddenly through some sort of seemingly tragic accident. Sometimes it comes by a slow decline at points that we might or might not expect it throughout the course of our lives. We naturally fear death because we know that death is connected with sin, and sin means judgment, and judgment means standing before God as the judge. And on our own, we're not ready to face him. In response to the reality and the threat of death, perhaps, naturally, your attitude might turn to despair. Consider these words that Edgar Allan Poe wrote. Lo, tis a gala night within the lonesome latter years, an angel throng bewinged bedight in veils and drowned in tears. Sit in a theater to see a play of hopes and fears, while the orchestra breathes fitfully the music of the spheres. Mimes, in the form of God on high, mutter and mumble low, and hither and thither fly, mere puppets they, who come and go, at bidding of vast formless things that shift the scenery to and fro, flapping from out their condor wings invisible woe. That motley drama, oh be sure it shall not be soon forgot, with its phantom chased forevermore by a crowd that sees it not through a circle that ever returneth in to the self-same spot, and much of madness, and more of sin, and horror the soul of the plot. But see amid the mimic rout a crawling shape intrude, a blood-red thing that writhes from out the scenic solitude. It writhes, it writhes with mortal pangs, the mimes become its food, and seraphs sob at vermin fangs in human gore imbued. Out, out are the lights, out all! And over each quivering form, the curtain, a funeral pall comes down with the rush of a storm, while the angels, all pallid and wan, uprising, unveiling, affirm that the play is the tragedy man and its hero, the conqueror worm. Pretty bleak. Maybe your attitude toward death is less pessimistic and more vaguely religious. It's a man named John Updike who wrote an interesting story that struck me when I was I don't know, probably in junior high, he makes a number of apt observations about death in this short story called Pigeon Feathers. And maybe your fear of death is not so much horror and emptiness, but takes the form of being forgotten and abandoned. David, the main character in this story, imagines death this way, a long hole in the ground, no wider than the body, down which you are drawn while the white faces above recede. You try to reach them, but your arms are pinned. Shovels pour dirt in your face. There you will be forever in an upright position, blind and silent, and in time no one will remember you, and you will never be called. To deal with this imagination that he has about what death is like, he goes and talks to his Sunday school teacher, and his Sunday school teacher shares the same sort of empty words that a lot of people do in the face of a difficult subject like death. David, you might think of heaven in this way as the way that the goodness Abraham Lincoln did lives on after him. Clearly, this is less than he hoped for. It's an empty hope because the reality is people forget. So if all that our life after death is, is dependent on people remembering us, it's a pretty short-lived thing. It has no substance. 
by the end of the story, David sees the beauty of God's creation in a pigeon that his, his, uh, his grandfather has sent him out to clear them out from the barn where they're ruining things in the barn. And so he, he shoots a number of them and one falls to the floor and he looks at it in the dim light of the barn. And he concludes that the God who had lavished such craft upon these worthless birds would not destroy his whole creation by refusing to let David live forever. It's an admirable sentiment. It makes us feel warm and fuzzy that, that, that God put all this design into creation, so of course he's going to save everybody. But is this really the Christian understanding of the hope of the resurrection? Instead of complete despair or vague religious sentiment, Jesus calls us to hope. Today on Resurrection Sunday, we remember that Jesus came. Not just that he came, born of a virgin, living a sinless life, but that he died. And not just that he died, but God raised him from the dead, never to die again, and to bring life to all who believe in him. We're going to look at these three passages that show us how Jesus' resurrection frees us from death. Not in a vaguely sentimental way, not in a, a, an empty attempt to escape the horror of life apart from God, not a we hope for the best, but an absolute certainty that if we come to God through Jesus, we are freed from death. We will have eternal life. So let's begin with what we saw in Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus came first of all to free us from the fear of death. Now, why is this important? What is, what's involved in this? We are enslaved by our fear of death. Notice what the passage says. He says, He himself took part of the same, being flesh and blood, that through death... He might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. The reality is that we sin. We do what God tells us not to do. Think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. God said, don't eat from the tree. They ate from the tree. Think of Galatians 5 where it says the deeds of the flesh are made clear and it lists off all of the things with anger and lust and greed and all these other things that are characteristic of our lives apart from God. We sin. We do what God says not to. We fail to live up to what God says we should do. Love God with all your being. Love your neighbors, yourself. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Not one of us lives up to that. So even if we can kind of convince ourselves, well, I haven't done a lot of these bad things, the reality is we fall short of the glory of God and we will forever do so on our own. And so because we sin, not doing what God says, doing what God says not to, we face God's wrath. Romans says the wages of sin is death. And so we are therefore enslaved to that sin, which Romans 6 talks about as well. We are enslaved to sin. We serve it. Indirectly, we are under Satan's power as we serve him, as we follow after sin. But why do we keep doing it? And I think the answer to that is tied into what this passage is talking about being enslaved through the fear of death all their lives. If we are afraid to die because we're not ready to meet God, we are going to pour everything we have into this life, particularly into the sins that we love, because we know that we only get to enjoy them for a short time. And so while the reality of death ought to make us say, why am I sinning? I need to find a way out of this. The reality of death apart from God working in us actually drives us to be enslaved to sin all the more because we say this is my brief window to do whatever I want and then after that I don't know what happens but it's probably nothing good. And so we're enslaved to sin all the more, bound to it apart from God's intervening work. We fear death as those under Satan's power. Now Satan is not ultimately in control of our life and death. God is, but because Satan is the one through whom sin came into the world and death through sin 
And he is, in a sense, the God of this world, as it says in Ephesians, and, and, and oversees all of the things with temptation and sin. There's a sense in which when we serve sin, we're serving him as our master. In contrast, Jesus' death, as fully human, when it says he partook of flesh and blood, that means Jesus, as God, came down to earth, became a man. When he died in our place as fully human, he makes it possible for us as humans to deal with our sin, to be freed from our sin, to break the power of sin and death. The first way the resurrection frees us from death is that we do not have to fear death anymore if we know Jesus because he frees us from slavery to sin. If Jesus died, but God raised Jesus, he will raise all those who trust in him through, as Jesus did through Jesus' work. But the good news does not stop there with what it says here in Hebrews. Jesus also came to free us from the penalty of death. We saw in Luke this idea made even more clear. We, I mean, we talked about the penalty a moment ago, but the reality that's made very clear here is that sinners deserve punishment. In verse 40, we're under the same sentence of condemnation, Luke 23, verse 41, we are suffering justly. We receive what we deserve for our deeds. Sin brings punishment. And this thief is acknowledging one of the two is saying, we deserve it. We're here because of things that we've done that are wrong and we deserve to die for the wrong that we've done. We don't know what they did. We don't know if they were murderers or insurrectionists or whatever it was specifically that they did. But the reality is they had done crimes and they knew that they were receiving the appropriate penalty for their crimes. Jesus was on the cross next to them and he had done no wrong. So he didn't deserve death. And so we have this amazing intersection of God's grace and our sinfulness such that Jesus offers life to undeserving sinners. Jesus took sin that he didn't deserve in the place of sinners who did deserve it. And so when the thief says, remember me, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. The thief didn't deserve Jesus' mercy. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he deserved to die. But when he called out to Jesus in faith, Jesus says, today you will be with me. Jesus' death, similarly for us, makes it possible for us to escape the penalty of death. You and I deserve punishment for our sin. And however much we might try to convince the people around us that we're nice people and good people and trying our best and all these sorts of things, when we're honest... We know that there's times when we hate the person next to us, when we lie, when we lust, when we're greedy, when we just even don't love people as much as we ought to. We know that that's the case. And we can try to hide it from the people around us, but we can't hide it from God. And if sin leads to the penalty of death, we know that if we sin, that's where we're headed. But like the thief on the cross, we have the opportunity to call out to God for mercy because of what Jesus has done. And if we do so, there is the amazing reality of what it says in Romans 8, which is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that no condemnation only applies to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you and I keep seeking after what we want, keep trying to earn God's favor by being good people, all of those sorts of things, we're not in Christ Jesus. We're on our own. We're like the other thief on the other cross who's mocking Jesus and saying, where's God's power? Where's God's promise? 
But if we, like the thief who humbly recognized he was a sinner and Jesus was the only one who could help him, come and say, remember me, forgive me, give me the salvation that you offer, Jesus' answer is the same. You will be with me when you die. You belong to me. You are in Christ. And therefore, there is no condemnation. What about the power of death? Jesus also came to deal with the power of death. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we see the reality again that death only has power for those who are under sin's penalty, particularly in verse 55, where it says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So here's the argument that Paul is making. The law says what God wants us to do. We don't follow it. We've sinned, and so the result is the law has power over us to pursue us because we have broken it. If you are um, walking around a gas station and you take something off the shelf and you go up and you pay for it and you walk out, they're not going to call the police on you and say, hey, somebody just stole something. Why? Because you didn't steal it. You followed the rules that are associated with buying things from the gas station. Now, if you go to the gas station and you grab a thing of beef jerky and you stick it in your pocket and you run out the door, can they pursue you? Yes, because you've broken the law. And in a much greater sense, God's law is here's what is pleasing to him. And if we follow it, we have nothing to fear. But the reality is we haven't followed it, and so we do have lots to fear. And that's why death is so terrible for us, because we know that it is what we rightly deserve, and we know that it's inevitable, and we know that the end result of it, according to the Bible, is being forever apart from God. But, in connection with the resurrection of Jesus, if we are, as we talked about a moment ago, in Jesus... If we know Jesus, if we believe in him, trust in him only, and, and have turned to him as our God, then we can say with Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, death, where is your victory? If sin is dealt with, there's no penalty, there's no power of death over you. Can you still die? Absolutely. I've seen this. When Kelly died, was it because she wasn't trusting God, my wife? No. Was it because God's words here had failed? No. Why? What was different about death for her than for someone who didn't know God? It is that when someone who knows Jesus in the way that I've been talking about this morning dies, it is not something to be feared. It is something to be welcomed. Because you are going from a life that is plagued with sin and brokenness and disease and evil and all that is wrong with this world to being in the presence of God forever. And that is a good thing. 
But if you do not know God as your Savior, if Jesus is not the one that you're trusting in for salvation, then you will have an overwhelming fear of death because you know that you deserve it and you know that it's going to come for you and you cannot escape. And so we run from it. We try to fill our lives with busyness, with with entertainment, with work, with time with family. We never give ourselves any moments of downtime because if we do, in those quiet moments when we're alone, we know that we are going to have to face the reality that death is coming. Why were so many people... Why, why, did, why did suicide rates spike and why was there so much despair in the last few years with everything that was going on? Because we couldn't watch football, couldn't go to the movies, couldn't spend time with family, all the things that distract us from the basic realities of life and death were taken away and then people had to come face to face with them and, and their resolve crumbled because apart from Jesus there is nothing that helps you face the reality of death. What helps you face the reality of death is the knowledge that if you know God and you die, you're with Him. What helps you face the reality of death is the knowledge that if you die, Life is not over, life is beginning. What helps you face death is Jesus. Jesus brings freedom from sin's power ultimately and finally in the moment of our resurrection. He was changed. And the passage says those who know Jesus will be too. The perishable will put on the imperishable. The mortal will put on immortality. Then death will be swallowed up in victory. There's a sense in which this is a present reality and a future one as well. It's true right now, but you and I haven't experienced it yet, right? You and I are in bodies that, like it says in Romans 8, all creation groans with the brokenness of this world. And even the ones of us who aren't all that old know what this is like, right? Things hurt, you get sick, there's things that aren't right about just how life goes. But there is a day coming when Satan, when death, when all these things will be cast to the lake of fire, they will be no more. It's what it says in the book of Revelation. Uh, and until that day, this passage calls us to look in hope for the fulfillment of these promises. And there are some of us, some of those that we have known who have experienced this already, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but, but they don't come back and share it with us, right? But these passages point us to the reality that it is true. And in that day... If you are trusting in Jesus, death will have no power over you. Now, there's a lot of people for whom death will have power and the coming of God will bring great terror because it says that there are going to be a whole bunch of people who are going and hiding in caves and saying to the mountains, fall on us and throwing away their idols and running and fleeing from God's wrath and His great day of judgment because they don't know God and they have nothing to cling to. But for those who know God, 
when all things in this world come to an end, we will have nothing to fear. And so these three passages, I think, call us to ask ourselves this question, do you fear death? Are you aware of the penalty of death? Are you aware of the power of death? What's the test? Are you afraid to die? I don't mean are you looking to die. I'm not saying be foolish and and do crazy things and go jump off of buildings without a parachute or any of that kind of thing. I'm not saying that. I'm saying are you so consumed with the reality that you could die that it's something that intrudes in your in your thoughts and and that you can't escape. If you if so, here's another test. How do you know if you have a right attitude toward the penalty of death? If someone talks to you and says, hey, if God were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? Which ultimately is not the most important question. Why should I let you spend eternity with me might be a better way of putting it. And your answer is, and you pull out a list of all the things that you've done, You don't really know what it's like to escape sin's penalty because you're still trying to do it on your own. If you are sinning day after day, then you don't know what it's like to be freed from the power of death because you're still doing the things that are inevitably taking you toward it. But if you come to a point where you don't fear death because you realize that to die is to be with Jesus, which is far better then you have begun with Paul to know the hope of the resurrection, the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, and the glory that is to follow. If you are not worried about sin's penalty because you are trusting that Jesus has dealt with it by his death on the cross in your place, then you've begun to know the power of the resurrection. And if you don't give in to sin's power the way that you used to because you've learned to say no to sin with God's help, You've begun to know the power of the resurrection. And so in these ways, Christ's resurrection frees us from death. So what about you? Are you freed from death? It's appointed a man once to die, and after this comes the judgment. Christians still die, sometimes in inexplicable and horribly difficult ways. So the question is not, do people die once they trust in Jesus? That's not what we're saying. The question is, how do you view it? Are you afraid of it because of the penalty that your sin is bringing you to? Because of the power of that sin that continues to enslave you day by day? Or have you been freed from death? You don't fear it because nothing can separate you from the love of God. You're not worried about the penalty because Jesus has dealt with it and you know that only he can do that. The power of it is, has begun to be broken in your life and God has given you the strength to follow after him instead. Christ's resurrection frees us from death and I hope that you know that freedom. Let's pray. Dear God, I know this is 
different from what we usually do. Usually just look at one passage and kind of walk through it. Hopefully we can see the connections between these three passages driving home this main truth that the resurrection of Jesus frees us from death. If he was in the grave and you raised him from it, and we believe in him, then we share in that hope of eternal life. If he died for sin and we trust in his provision that deals with our sin, that we don't have to fear the consequences of sin, nor do we love in and walk in sin. Lord, I pray that we would understand these things. It's not about what church you go to. It's not about what other people think of the sort of person that you are. It comes down to, do we know you as our Savior and our God, our Lord, who has broken the power of sin and death? Are we experiencing the reality of that victory even now? as we look to your final victory over all these things. Lord, I pray that would be the case for those who are here this morning. That if it is not, that you would give anyone who doesn't yet understand these things no rest until they have dealt with it before you. And that sounds like perhaps an unkind thing for me to say, but Lord, this is the most important thing that we need to deal with in our entire lives. And it doesn't matter what's going on at work or in our families or whatever. None of that stuff ultimately is more important than knowing where we stand before you. We pray that your word would be used by your spirit to accomplish your purposes in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.